Sally Chan is a senior teaching fellow in the business school at the University of Leeds. Hi, Sally. How are you doing? Great, thank you. Thanks, Paul, for uh, the invite. This is and exciting. You are principally working in the area of advertising and representation, but you are very much invested in issues around martial arts in adverts at the very least and in film. And you've just published an article on um, the the use of Chinese and Asian martial arts uh, in British advertising, right? That's right. It's called um, High Karate and Kung Fu. And um, it, I deliberately chose those titles to make sure that everybody gets to read it. So it's not just for the academic um, profession, but it, you know, it's accessible to all. So, uh, yeah. So, so what's the, let's give everyone a brief um, introduction to the relationship between martial arts or Asian martial arts and British or, you know, any country advertising that you know about that you, you could this focuses specifically on British advertising, right? Tell us a little bit about yes. the history. What's the first things that we see with, with martial arts and adverts? The first thing that we'll see in martial arts in adverts in Britain, because my specialty focuses on um, British advertising, um, focusing originally on British TV. The first thing that you say is probably black and white print adverts, mm -hmm. uh, which is reflective of the sort of 19 sort of, sort of 50s and 60s where print advertising was, was the main um, form of communication um, in Britain at the time. So it's it's probably a lot of black and white stuff that you see first of all and um, and then later on you probably get a lot more sort of colourful creative advertising seeping in um, to the lexicon. So it's, it's sort of quite easy to analyse I suppose and easy for us to digest because they're, they're showing advertising from um, quite a simple simple uh, perspective in terms of the visuals so you have the sort of black and white imageries mm -hmm. um, which are quite simply laid out with usually quite heavy text or copy mm -hmm. uh, in those adverts um, and then later on as we had more of the sort of visual technology available to us in terms of media you're starting to see a lot more of these sort of moving images um, so you've got your TV linked into your sort of cinema adverts um, very reflective of what's what you see in, in cinemas mm -hmm. um, later on. So, yeah, so you could see sort of, you can track mm -hmm. how things have moved in terms of the media's influence on, on advertising. Mm -hmm. So what's the first, um, what are the first kind of products that are advertised used in Japanese or Chinese imagery? Um, most of them tend to focus on if it's to do with martial arts, they tend to focus more on um, sort of um, aftershave because mm -hmm. um, it's it's about sort of um, ensuring that you get a lot of budget to um, to devise those adverts. So it tends to be large brands that are able to to go for those sorts of um, forms of media because advertising is one of the most expensive forms of media um, that you could use in 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 the old days that is um so so it tends to be uh, bigger brands or brands that are interested in looking at um ensuring that they have a bit more of a a, a mass exposure okay um and, and gaining awareness would be one of the key things so be sort of um you know your high karate was was one mm -hmm. of the um 1970s uh, adverts um and and that's quite a uh it's sort of like a, a funny take on um your sort of visual representation of what uh, how you could get that message across of the benefits of 
wearing your your aftershave and you get all these sort of like very yeah. attractive uh, woman woman one single woman who will sort of run run after you um as a result of that so it it tends to be based on those sort of um products product yeah. categories related okay. to that they tend to be fast moving consumer goods so things that fly off the shelves quite quickly so it'll be things like crisps or snacks <laughs> confectionery uh-huh. um and uh, in the old days i found an earlier one on carpets Okay. which is a really interesting one. It's BMK uh, Carpets, which is a, a Scottish uh, manufacturer. And um, they had a couple of um, really interesting take on uh, martial arts using um, a very attractive lady, the actress oh, yeah. of whom has become a bit of a, uh, has a bit of a following. So it's Edwina Carroll, um, who has since gone on to sort of TV and film after um, being featured in in these uh, series of adverts, and she's known as the BMK girl, not the BMX girl, but yeah. the BMK girl. And she's she's, I think a lot of men of a certain age will remember her, yeah. um, in particular. So uh, yeah, it's, it's... <laughs> a lot of men. So um, I I think the, the so you've got in the, your title you've got high karate and kung fu. So the high karate adverts. Now it's interesting because I think. I think the first one was about 1967 and they were massive through the 70s and they they made British versions I think first and then there was a follow-up American versions now the the British comedy of the high karate advert is based on some very average bloke puts on the high karate there's instructions in the packet about how to do how to do self-defense um and he might be in a hospital or a supermarket or some situation and one beautiful woman finds him irresistible and chases him around and he's trying to defend himself against her. But the American version is different. In the American version, I don't know if you've seen them, but it's normally like a guy comes home from work and mm. his wife finds him irresistible. And it's the same structure, but it's like a different, it's much less kind of British, yeah. kind of like carry on film sort of innuendo kind of stuff have you did you look at any of the american ones or is it mainly I did look at the american um um website i think george newell i think he he um started the the ad it was his idea to come up with the brand um so he he's put a lot of his original american adverts uh, on his website and um they they are quite it's uh, quite interesting because I think they were from the sort of the 19 sort of 50s thereabouts and, and sort of 1960s and it is very much about the housewife scenario um, in terms of um, you know how, how the, you know the, um, the sort of target owners will, will sort of um, find um, affiliation with um, but it's only from the 1970s on that you're starting to get a bit more of a slightly different message of the empowered female and mm-hmm. the sort of uh, 90s. So you've got the 1960s of uh, women empowerment coming into the, into into play there. Mm-hmm. So I think the messages have had to be adapted over time from the housewife, mm-hmm. who would be sort of you know becoming over amorous uh, to the sort of you know these, um, women just out there. Um, I think in one of the the British ones, you also have um, some of the ladies in in like a like a sort of like a stri- like a dance club, like a strip club type thing scenario as well. So it's so reflective of of the sort of era, which is what advertising should try to do. So I think in America, I think we need to look at the context of when the adverts were made. So talking about the nineteen fifties and sixties, you've got Housewife, and then as you move over to the sixties, it's sort of like you know sort of 
free, you know, free, free power, or whatever, you know, and, and then it sort of moves to the 1970s, a bit more of um, sort of more sort of equal play, if you like, and a bit more comedy coming into it. But it is true uh, what you say, Paul, because the um, the British do have an uh, affiliation with uh, comedy in advertising, and and those sorts of adverts tends to work really well. Um, it's just the particular take, and with the influence of um, films that were popular at the time. So you're talking about the Carry On films, yeah. um, and you talk about lots of comedies in the 1970s. Um, that was showing on mainstream British TV, things like Mind Your Language, which shows various different races and things, but it's all comedic as yeah. well to get that sort of uh, cut through to yeah. to your audience. And it's a particular type of humour that works really well, I think, with the British market. So one of the more um, controversial ones, um, I can't remember if it was you who introduced me to this. It was an advert for Walker's Crisps. And it featured a Chinese guy who's just obviously come over from Hong Kong or from China and he's visiting his brother and he wants some Walker's Crisp. Do you know the advert? You remember Oh, it? yes, I know that one, And, yes. and the, guy, the guy at the store, the Cockney geezer, won't sell him um, the Walker's Crisps and tries to sell him some other crisps. And he goes kind of nuts and he does the classic Bruce Lee thing of he destroys, it destroys the place. And that was sort of banned because it was regarded as, uh, as trading and stereotypes and could possibly cause offence. I mean, I think that it, it, yeah, it's trying to be funny. It's not trying to be racist. It's trying to refer back to Bruce Lee, Fist of Fury, smashing the kind of, you know, no Chinese and dogs allowed sign. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think about the representational implications of adverts? When I remember seeing, and I remember my gut reaction when I first saw it, I went, whoa, that's a bit offensive. Okay. <laughs> that was me. That's coming from... I wasn't even studying um, advertising at the time. I just saw it on TV. I thought, oh, no, not again. Oh, no. And so it, was, it had quite negative um, connotations for me, purely because um, I have links to the catering trade. And, um, you know, my father came over in the 1950s. We set up in catering. And so there's, we, we were aware that there was a lack of representation of Chinese people on, on TV when we were growing up in the 1970s and 80s. Mm -hmm. um, and then I see this Chinese guy um you know sort of doing what i what, what i thought was quite stereotypical um representation um in terms of what he did you know he, he got annoyed with with um what was being said and then he, he does this martial arts thing yeah. at the time i wasn't doing martial arts so i wasn't that enamored with martial arts as a thing yeah. um so i just i just saw a chinese guy being sort of overreacting yeah. Um, on screen I thought oh no and it was his accents that really um sort of uh yeah it's like a pigeon English stood out yeah because like he had pigeon English and, and things yeah. like that and yeah. um which I thought oh here we go you know another Chinese person on on TV mm -hmm. uh, one off a few and he had an accent I thought oh no that's mm -hmm. really gonna um you know make things yeah. quite bad for me if I go out there people are going okay. to assume that this is what I'm going to sound like I mean I've got a bit of a Chinese accent but you know um and I thought, oh, you know, could have done a, a bit of a, a better representation. I don't think at the time agencies would have spoken to members of the population about it. Um, yeah. Even if they did, there would be a lack of understanding of representation, what it means for certain ethnic groups that are being yeah. depicted. So I think it's reflective of its era. Mm -hmm. um, people remember it because it's funny. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's good for the brand because it raised awareness. 
but maybe for certain sections of the population that had negative connotations. I don't so, think people were able to voice those opinions at the time. So it's, it's good that we do these reflective studies. Oh, yeah, definitely. Do you, do you know much about the, the advertising career of Bert Kwok? I mean, Bert cause, Kwok, yes. Cause he was he was like the go to actor to depict anything Chinese or Japanese or Asian on British television. It seems like for decades, I mean, he did he did so many adverts. Some of them are deeply, deeply problematic in terms of representation. Mm -hmm. Some are just funny. But I mean, what, yeah. what do you make of his contribution to, to these representations? I quite like Bert, Bert because he is um, he's a national treasure, isn't he? So uh, so I quite like the stuff that he did, um, particularly with the, I uh, can't remember the name of the brand, but um, the, the, the um, him stood, stood um in a scene, uh, a TV advert, and then the car would drop down, and then it, it would be saying something in like a Japanesey uh, mm -hmm. sort of accent. Mm -hmm. um, I thought they were quite funny. I quite like Bert because but, I, but he I did thought... a lot of asshole, like you know, like like pigeon English. He did a lot yes. of stuff that nowadays you'd go, oh, like no oh, yeah, one, definitely, no one... <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the asshole thing was was um, was quite problematic. I think for a lot of the children who were growing up in playgrounds in the, in the nineteen seventies, it was said everywhere, and it's it's quite a racist. Um, to, you know the noise that that you that hear all all around you so it, it was quite problematic in that respect that it popularized mm -hmm. that you could you know it's on tv you could say it you know so um it made people say it more and more i think mm -hmm. I, I felt um and but i think i think it's quite quite difficult i think with with one of the um the adverts that is in the featured in the paper Mm -hmm. that um, high karate and, and kung fu paper mm -hmm. it it does uh, give an example of how arsehole became um, popularized as yeah. a result of this very revered uh, advert by a very well-known agency Colette Dickinson Pierce at the time who were known as like the, the best agency that you could work for yeah. and for war sausages what they did was they really made use of the arsehole you know yeah. this guy sort of stabbing his fork on to the um the, the sausages there and mm -hmm. um, it was heard all in all the homes yeah up and down it just really made it um okay to use such such phrase mm -hmm. i didn't realize this was happening at the time all i heard was you know us all being sort of um said in in the playground um but now that i've gone back and looked at it i thought well actually i can see where all that came from Hmm. And it's the advertisers, it's, you know, it's, they need to take a bit of a, a bit of a, yeah. you know, because TV commercials are quite sort of, um, you know, 30 seconds, you know, mm -hmm. 15 seconds, 30 seconds, um, clips that are like, you know, designed to grab your attention and it's meant to, it sort of normalizes certain behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I guess is what happens with films and, t and, and TV yeah. and, and with Bert, um, in terms of what he, what he did, I, I, I can see two sides to, to the um, to the argument because I, I quite respect that he, he had to, I mean, he was very successful in terms of the public's awareness of who he is. Um, and, and he's been, you know, had quite a successful career for, for quite a long time. Mm. Um, and also his, his you know, his seminal role in the, in the Pink Panther, you know, as, as, as yeah. the famous Cato psychic. Yeah. I think that's, that's quite a positive thing 
Um, but in terms of the the impact of that on on what happened to the community and yeah. the sort of ra racial name calling and all that, that's mm -hmm. not a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you need to have one or the other to get to where we are now to be able yeah. to to sort of discuss I mean, it. In terms of in terms of where we are now, because I mean, so just this is like full disclosure for everyone who doesn't know this. Um, so. Um, Sally wrote an article for an issue of a journal called Jomek Journal, and I also wrote an article. So our articles are side by side, and mine, uh, my article was called something like um, like um, chop socky to chop suey or chop suey to chop socky, and it's about the same uh, advertising history. And I look at the representation of Chineseness um, in in British television advertising. Um, so if anyone wants to check out that the articles, they're available, open access, free online, Joe Mac Journal, Cardiff University Press. Um, and uh, I mean, so you're very interested in the sense that adverts have an effect. I mean, they, they, they have an effect on what people believe. So the whole kind of stereotypical ah, so situation. And I wonder how far it's moved on because now if we think about Chinese representations of China and Chinese martial arts in advertising, the biggest thing that leaps to mind is the Rowan Atkinson Snickers advert. I mean, that's, is that one of the most recent big budget, long running, um, and in that, that's, that kind of appeals to a crouching tiger, hidden dragon, wuxia type of, of aesthetic. I mean, do you think that's better or worse, or is it progressive representation of, Chinese culture in some way or not? I mean, it's good to see different forms of martial arts being uh, represented in, in the um, advertising. Um, in this case, I think the ethnicity has been taken out, out of it in terms of the main character being, um, being the sort of business being there. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's, I think it's, it's, a, it's a good thing because it makes people, it's more about the martial arts um, and it doesn't feature any sort of negativity. There's a bit of humour in there, obviously, but mm. doesn't have too much of a, a negative uh, connotation. There's no, there's no sounds or anything like that for starters. So not that that, that I'm aware of. Mm. Um, so it seems to be great for martial arts, and it's great for the film industry, and it's great for the wushu sort of um, stylistics aspects of martial arts. Um, it doesn't feature the you know, main character isn't Chinese. It doesn't you know doesn't bother doesn't offend anybody. So I think it's sort of managed to sort of feature martial arts quite authentic in its representation with the sort of um, clever an camera angle and, and mm -hmm. sort of you got, you got your acrobatic um, mm -hmm. and some demonstration of skills and techniques there, mm -hmm. all sort of done in that sort of um, uh, you know sort of. Yeah, give yeah. you the indication that real martial arts is actually occurring yeah. um, through the way it's filmed. Um, and then you get your, your sort of Mr. Bean character. I yeah. think that works quite well. I don't think it offends anybody. And I think it was a good halfway house of how you might mm. do martial arts. Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> in terms of how authentic it actually is, because I mentioned camera angles and stuff, it, yeah. you know, it's sort of, do uh, you have Chinese looking actors? Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure if they're, Properly proper martial artists. If you contrast that to uh, the um, the kung fu advert from nineteen seventies, and you've got um, you know this proper sensei who came over from the nineteen who was invited over 
by by the British government to to encourage people to take up martial arts. He was one of the uh, innovators hmm. who came up, and he was he got I think some demonstration on BBC uh, TV, yeah. and the media got sort of interested in him, and 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 he started fronting quite a few campaigns. But he's a proper uh, sensei, you know, from uh, you know years of training. Hmm. Um, He's a proper master and he's properly demonstrating his, mm. you know, sort of board breaking skills mm. um, in the advert. So that's got some authenticity in terms of the martial and it's got that realness because you could, I mean, he's probably just doing it like prop, proper board breaking, not sort of mm-hmm. made it, obviously they might make, make it look extra so, uh, effective. So there, in terms of your argument, at least in that article, you... you you want to you kind of make a call for um, adverts to be more <clears throat> to have more ethical responsibility in terms of the the consequences because they do like you say with with the RSO and with the stereotypes that are circulated. I mean these are adverts are quite intense little messages that are repeated regularly and that have themes and that 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 have little hooks that that get people repeating them in different ways either thinking or saying or or. or or wanting to buy the product or raising awareness of the product and so on. But at the same time, I guess they're also strongly tying um, representations of, of Chinese, Japanese and, and Asian identities. They're tr- tying them strongly to stereotypes of martial arts. I mean, martial arts are a strong stereotype, but you can, but you still see a, a value in, in, in that connection. I mean, is that, that, is that connection in itself not somehow on some level offensive because it's so, so orientalist and so stereotypical or do you not think i mean i think martial arts are great obviously so mm-hmm. the more i see them the happier I, I am but then again it's not my ethnic identity that's being simplified and reduced to i must therefore be a kung fu master or or a, a jiu-jitsu expert or something i mean what how do you negotiate that complexity mm-hmm. This might be slightly um, beyond my my area, but I guess there's quite a lot in in film studies and, and so on, which uh, looks at authenticity in uh, in martial arts films, where you've got you know there's the debate that you've got to have it's got to you know if it's kung fu, it's got to be like it's proper Chinese sifu who does the does the kung fu, um, and then there's the other argument that no, it doesn't. That's that's a ra- racialist uh, argument, you know. Um, so there's some there's some debates about about that going on um, I think that probably needs warrants a bit more um, research um, my idea actually came from my, my own experience so when, when I was growing up um, and I wanted to take up martial arts age 13 14 whatever it was really weird because I thought well if I want to do martial arts I've got to find like a, a, a Chinese sifu ideally you know that's top of my list or it's got to be like a, a Japanese sensei. Yeah. Um, and that's how I thought as I was, you know, sort of obviously you sort of immigrants, sort of Chinese sort of upbringing. Yeah. I, my father was very authoritarian. I don't think he would have let me do martial arts if it was not taught by a, an ethnic or, you know, an, yeah. uh, an oriental person. Yeah. Um, so I think that sort of clouded my sort of um, judgment. So that's from my my personal experience of, of um looking at martial arts um but then as I got older and I started looking at clubs and things and stuff 
I felt, well, actually, it doesn't matter what nationality and ethnicity the person is, as long as they're good at what, they, what they're doing. <laughs> so, so I was like, so I learned my lesson that, you know, although, you know, I experienced racism and discrimination when I was growing up, I was actually just using that to discriminate um, others. Around. So I learned my lesson uh, since then. But I've also heard as well other people say, oh, you know, if you, if you do Tai Chi and you learn it from, um, you know, a proper master, um, you know, proper in inverted commas, like an ethnic, you know, a Chinese bird, then there's that sort of, um, I've sort of noticed that there's some unsaid um, feeling going on that it's got that authenticity element to it, which yeah. I'm rediscovering going, oh, is that right? It's got to, you know, got to uh, go for that sort of element. So I'm sort of, I'm still finding my feet um, in terms of whether that is true or not. But I've also had people uh, say to me, oh, you know, you, you're doing martial arts or, you know, is your um, sensei like Japanese? Mm. Um, and, and people are like, curious to know. They're looking at the door. Oh, is it a Japanese person that, that yeah. does it? So um, so people have, who don't do martial arts have actually asked me that yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, not in the first meeting, but eventually. Does that make me think that there is still that sort of... Um, thing going on but I haven't haven't looked into it in too much detail but these are my personal experiences of it um so I've I've, I've much to learn I think you know my my you know I'm doing karate at the moment with, okay. with my sensei he's, he's a he's a British guy um you know he's a fantastic in, instructor and um, I've also um learned um, karate, um taekwondo from a really well respected um British Asian guy you know so it's like total respect to them yeah. Um, so I hope I haven't offended anybody with my, well, my I mean, I, I guess it raises the question because if we if we tie it back to to adverts, um, and we think about the globalization and, and and the fact that we can disconnect cultural practices or supposedly cultural practices from ethnicities, right? In, we don't have to. You don't have to be Chinese to be a Tai Chi master, I guess. Um, and yet we still see like you I've seen you present work and and you've looked at the way that the images of Bruce Lee have been kind of retooled and remediated and reused and and uh, and reiterated in different different ways across time and that's a big like Bruce Lee's a big structuring theme right it's like it, it's, it's one of the he's a trope it, it, it's it's which way are we going to talk about martial arts we've got a handful Bruce Lee is one of them I mean do we Will it always be like that? Is Bruce Lee always going to reappear and recur and restructure adverts that want to quickly evoke martial artsiness? Maybe something about Hong Kong, maybe something about this, I don't know, the 70s, because there's some fabulous adverts that use these images. It is, yeah, some really great um, ones. Do, what do you think? I think in, in the West, definitely there's a massive appetite for Bruce Lee, um, with the the sort of way the adverts are going, there's a lot of retro, and and with the um, the sort of lockdown situation, people are looking back into the sort of history, what we, what we did before, and how what life was like in, in the old days. So there'll be a lot more reflective, more use of sort of 1970s and 80s coming back and seeping into the adverts. Mm. Um, and I think Bruce Lee, because he's such a cool guy, um, and he's popularized in the media so much that it would be rude not not to use his representation in any shape or form if you were going to do martial arts so i reckon for advertisers who are thinking oh we're going to do a martial arts theme ping you know immediately it'll be bruce lee 
um, and I think, right, how can we use him? You know, what, what can we use him for? And what sort of representation do we want to have? There was um, a really great advert in the 1990s um, for Levi's jeans. That was the, probably yeah. the best representation of, of... Thinking of that one, yeah. <laughs> that was probably the best representation. When I saw that on TV... Yeah. Uh, so this is a, a, a Vietnamese-American guy, Dustin uh, Nguyen, who uh, who was recruited um, and was featured in Jonathan Glazer's uh, advert, and he's went, become one of the most successful um, uh, uh, creative uh, directors ever in in the field of advertising. And it's 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 really really a great take because on the one hand it's got all the stereotypical stuff that you can find in in terms of um chinese representations you've got the laundry you've yeah, got the uh, you know the triad gangs yeah. um and you've got the subservient female yeah. um in there who doesn't speak a word you know and and then you've got all these sort of the sort of sounds that that you, mm. that you find in typical martial arts films so that could be like quite a negative stereotype, but people don't really notice that. They just notice this really great sort of Bruce but it's, Lee it's character. Also, it's also quite progressive in the sense that this that Levi's advert was about 1997 or something like that. And, and this is the time when film critics and film studies people are saying the, the, the film industry was steadfastly refusing to kind of eroticize the Asian male character. So, like, yeah, a Asian women can be eroticized in, in Western in Western film and television culture, no problem. But that advert shows him as like cool and sexy, like you know, it 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 emphasizes his masculinity and how sexy he is, right? In a way that wasn't really oh, happening in film or television in the West. Oh, that's really interesting. I haven't thought about that, but it's really interesting that Bruce Lee would have his torso on show. But probably due to the advertising standards, they had to make make him wear a, a white vest. Mm. I don't know if that's sort of because it's sort of slightly covered up, but he's obviously ripped as well, you know. So, yeah, um, yeah I think I think um, yeah, that that's quite an interesting take. I haven't, I haven't thought about that. Um, so I think yeah, some some interesting lessons could could be learnt from that particular advert. I think that sort of made a, a sea change in terms of how you could use Bruce Lee. In, in advertising and the fact that it could have potential benefits if you use that form of representation despite all the negative associations or you know that, that I might might have had with with the uh, what, what it actually represents um yeah I think I think um at the time as well in the 1990s there was a lot of stuff about Bruce Lee absolutely everywhere because I remember going to um clubs and things you would see like little flyers that just put a picture of Bruce Lee on there and it, it's become like the coolest um, flyer that you can, that you can uh, get anywhere. So he was, yeah. he's been recycled, hasn't he, quite a yeah. bit. And, and it was quite intense in the 1990s. I remember seeing quite a lot of people having like Bruce Lee characters on, on their sort of um, t-shirts and things. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, oh, wow, that's really cool. It's really great. And wow, you know, people are starting to recognize it. You know, you could actually put a Chinese character on your item of clothing and it looks mm -hmm. super cool. So that was quite, quite good for me to, to see. Yeah. Um, and it was absolutely everywhere, wasn't it? Well, they, they, in the 90s, there were even, surprised. there were even, I mean, even big, big high street shops in Britain, like Next, you could buy, they had, they'd had a range, I had a one that said, it said, on the back, it said Lee, China, and on the front was Bruce, I mean, Lee, China, right? <laughs> it should be wow. Lee, California. <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah, and that was next. I mean, that's really as mainstream and kind of bland a high street yes. as you can think of. And that's so in the 90s, Bruce Lee was was front and center in, in a lot yeah. of a lot of contexts. But in terms of your work, what um so you've you've published the article on um, um martial arts um in British advertising. Is there anything else martial artsy that's coming our way from you or or, or your, is your work elsewhere? Well, it's really quite interesting what you say. Since the papers come out, I've had um, quite a few debates with people about um, about the work. And and it's quite interesting that the, sorry to sound so, but the female perspective is, is coming in, into it uh, quite a bit. Because obviously being female, my, my experience of martial arts in the sort of 70s, 80s is informed by sort of things that I saw on TV, which may be, quite different to I think most of the people that I've stacked to speak to mm. their influences were from the sort of 80s 80s and 90s. mine was a little bit earlier and mm. um, so because because I remember really looking at Wonder Woman and going wow mm. she's you know it's a comic I loved comic at the time but it was like you know Linda Carter I didn't I was too young to realize it was over sexualized the female representation but I thought, wow, she's really powerful. You know, it's really great. You know, I wish I could, I could be, be like her in terms of the, the sort of empowerment uh, message that was coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so I think, yeah, that potentially my research could look at um, female martial arts and things like that because I, I feel, you know, it's been a bit of a struggle for me to learn martial arts. It's, it sometimes appeared to be quite a closed off thing. You know, it's really not for girls, a bit like the Yorkie chocolate bar, you know, it's really not not for girls. And it's only in recent years that it's become more more accessible. So you don't really find a lot of um, females sort of in their sort of 50s and 60s <laughs> who have gone through the martial arts route. So I, th- I think, you know, some sort of, and there were no representation for females, yeah. martial artists um, in adverts that I could foresee, it was all males actually, uh, apart from, you know, you know, sort of um, 19s or 60s early representation, which um, the BMK girl, yeah, um, she she was, um, you know, quite, quite a female empowered character, yeah. but um, but the, the, the form of representation, it's also quite appealing to males as well, it's quite, quite sexualized in, in a way, because yeah. um, I've since had um, strangers approaching me who have read come across the uh, the article and okay. um, and it's brought back all these memories for them and they you know you know i i think there's a lot more out of the adverts there's something about um uh women possibly asian women and they and they publish stuff or they appear in the media and they immediately get loads of attention i mean i was in a, a documentary film called i am bruce lee and my my friend terry tom who is um an asian woman she was also in it. And I spoke to her a few months after that came out. And she said she said she deeply regretted being in the film because her, just a constant stream of emails and tweets and people oh, just wanting to. And I was like, yeah, I've had one person contact me right. and asked me, guess what he asked me? Who would have won in a fight? Bruce oh, Lee right. or Muhammad Ali. And it's like, oh, man. Oh, no. So I think that. And also I did. I looked I was looking at the articles that your article and my article yesterday. And the stats for downloads and access uh, of your article are much higher than mine, uh, even though they're very <laughs> similar right. titles, right? Very similar titles. Yeah. And I think there's there's a whole dynamic there in terms of uh, of names, gender, ethnicity, and people want yeah. feeling that they can contact you or that they should contact you. No, and... I do. <laughs> that warrants a paper in itself. It does. <laughs> it does. 
Female researching yeah. martial arts. You're going to get well, it's not just martial arts. I've heard it from from female bloggers and vloggers. Oh, this is really and, interesting. And men just go, okay, I have a right to contact you, and we're oh. we're in a relationship. We're having a conversation. Um, that's that's something that we, oh. know, the, the, the the kind of gender and racial dynamics of who's going to contact you after yeah. you publish something or go public with something. There's, mm -hmm. there's stacks to be said about that, isn't there? We've veered away from martial arts, though. <laughs> oh, sorry. Martial arts, sorry. My martial arts. Yeah, I love martial arts. Yeah, it's the best thing ever. It's the best. I wish I did martial arts studies when I was young. I think if, if you had such a thing, Paul, I would have been your first student enrolled there on well, the course. Whether it's online or whatever, I'll be there. Yeah. You know, attending well, classes, listening. Well, Sally, it has been an absolute um, delight to speak to you again. And I hope that we catch up in the real world sometime soon. But thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. That's great. Enjoyed it. <laughs>